Isaiah chapter 6 today. And it's one of those things that um, is the privilege that we get to gather before the glory of God and to see just a glimpse of what it's like to step into the very throne room of a holy God. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, it says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. So, Father, this morning I ask that you would take us, draw us into your holy sanctuary. Help us to get a little glimpse of what it was like for Isaiah. Help us to get a little glimpse of, of what it's like to be in the very throne room of a holy and righteous God and the transformation that that does to a person's life. Lord, I thank you so much for the privilege that we have to come to an open uh, church that has you know, air conditioning going on and, and places to sit with nice uh, plush seats. I ask that you would help us today not only get a glimpse of your glory, but a desire to go into that place every single day. That the transformation that happens when we meet a holy and righteous God doesn't just stay in this building, but it would transform our lives as we leave this building. Lord, I ask that you would bring about a uh, wisdom and guidance to our leadership of our church. I thank you so much for our pastors. I thank you so much for Mike and Mike and Mike and Mike. I, I thank you so much for the privilege of having elders that love you and guide this church with wisdom. Lord, I thank you so much for our congregation and the privilege of coming to church and seeing smiles and people that just love on one another, Lord. Lord, give us your wisdom today. Help us to desire to grow closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Have you ever just read something and skipped over the good parts? 
<clears throat> many people just skip over the good parts in this section because uh, you have to understand the context of the section that we're in in terms of Isaiah coming before a holy and righteous God. You see, we love the parts where it says, holy, holy, holy. Uh, we, we love the parts where uh, the, literally the pillars and the doors of the temple are being shaken. All those dramatic things within the very context of the text itself. But many times we don't understand uh, the cultural context. Because something has just happened in a nation's life. And we read it in the very first five words. In the year that King Uzziah died. Now, you know, I, I know we don't live in England right now, okay? But what has just happened in England? The prince has died, right? The crown prince has just died. And the nation has gone into mourning, right? This is exactly what is happening in the nation of Israel at this moment. In the year that King Uzziah died, I got to see God face to face. Who was King Uzziah? I'm sure many of you know. We, in order to find out, we have to go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 3. It says, Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in uh, Jerusalem. Is that a long time? In fact, this is the second longest reigning king in the history of the southern kingdom of Judah. Second only to Manasseh, his great-great-great-great-grandson, okay? For 52 years, this king has been serving the nation of Judah, and he has died. What was his reign like? Verse 4, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord of God, or vision, excuse me, as long as he sought the Lord God, made him prosper. Now he went out and made war against the Philistines. He broke down the wall of Gath, the wall of Jebna, and the wall of Ashdod. And he made, built cities around Ashdod and among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines, against the Arabians who lived in Gerbal and against the Muonites. Also the Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah. His fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt for he became exceedingly strong. This king was a good leader. Not only did he love the Lord God, but God brought him about victories in battle. And Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem, on the corner gate, at the valley gate, and at the corner buttress of the wall. Then he fortified them. Also, he built towers in the desert. He dug many wells, for he had much livestock, both in the lowlands and in the plains. He also had farmers and vine dressers in the mountains and in Carmel, for he loved 
the soil. Not only was there military victories, not only did he love the Lord God, but there was an agricultural revival going on in the land. Verse 11, moreover, Uzziah had an army of fighting men who went out to war by companies according to the number of their role as prepared by Jael, the scribe, and Maasai, the officer under the hand of Hananiah, one of the king's captains. The total number of chief officials of the mighty men of valor was 2,600. And under their authority was an army of 307,000 500 that made war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. Then Uzziah prepared for them for an entire army, shields, spears, helmets, body armor, bows, and slings to cast stones. Was this a well-prepared standing army? Yes, it was. He made devices in Jerusalem, invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and large stones. So his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped till he became strong. Do you see the picture? What's on the corners of the walls of Jerusalem? Ballistas and catapults that literally had to be mounted to the walls because they were so big. A revival is happening within the nation of Judah. Verse 16 there. But when he was strong in his heart, was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord, his God, by entering the temple of the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Great mighty things are happening throughout the kingdom of Judah at this time. The agricultural things and the protection and the walls and the standing army. And then this pride rises within Uzziah. And what does he do to bring himself down? One thing. He enters into the temple of God unprepared. He enters into the temple of God to do something that he is not allowed to do as king. Yes, he could raise the army. Yes, he could build the walls. Yes, he could provide for the people. There was, there was one thing, though, that the king could not do. And that was enter into the holy of holies. To burn incense before God. Verse 17. So Azariah the priest went in with him. At, or with, uh, after him. And with him were 80 priests of God. Of the Lord. Valiant men. These were butchers. These were men that all day long butchered sheep and goats and bulls. These 80 men, they go and their job as priests was to serve God. And they see their king, the king that they loved, by the way, doing something that was not his responsibility. In fact, it was their 
responsibility. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, King Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron. Do you see it? You see those 80 men coming before their king. Yes, they love him, but do they have to withstand him? Who are concerned or consecrated to burn incense? Get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah became furious, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead. Before the priests in the house of the Lord, beside the incense altar. <clears throat> Now, I, I know those of you guys that come on Monday nights or Wednesday mornings, you know the answer. It's okay. Who saw the leprosy? Who saw the leprosy? It's okay. Say it. The priests see the leprosy. Who does not see the leprosy? Right there. Who does not see the leprosy? Who does not see the pride? Who does not see the reason why he should not be doing this thing of offering the holy incense before a holy and righteous God? Uzziah does not see his own sin that is spreading across his forehead. Verse 20, and Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and there on his forehead, he was leprous. So they thrust him out of that place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his what? And what has just happened in Isaiah chapter 6? He has just died. The leper king has just died died. The one who wanted to be a priest and offer incense on a holy off altar that was only reserved for the priests, the sons of Aaron. And who has just died? The leper king has just died. And where is Isaiah going before right now? He's going into the presence of that same holy and righteous God. Turn with me back to Isaiah chapter 6. You see, getting into the context of the story, understanding what's happening within the culture of the people at this time brings about, hopefully, a new vision on this text. They have just been through a period of mourning for the leper king who has tried to enter into the holy of holies. And when he did, he was struck with one of the most feared diseases of that time. You know what would happen with a person that was considered leprous. They would have to go and they would have to be checked out. They would have to go before whether it was a priest or a physician and see. And if that would spread, they were set apart 
or they were put away, or they were made to walk on the other side of the street. And every time a person would come within vision distance or hearing distance of them, they would have to shout out, unclean, unclean, unclean. Uzziah's name, by the way, means my strength is from Yahweh. My strength is from the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, high, lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. We go from a man who is unclean and leprous to a holy, righteous Pure God, who literally everywhere he comes encompasses the building, the place where he is dwelling. And in this case, it's the temple itself. Can you imagine that to be Isaiah? To know the culture, to understand what had happened to a great man amongst us, a great king, by the way. Will that happen to me, God? Will I be struck leprous also? Will I be rejected from your throne room? A holy and righteous God. Verse 2, it continues on. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew, by the way, this is the only time in this chapter that we see the word seraphim being used. It's going to be used twice in this chapter. Nowhere else in the Bible is this word used, seraphim. The word seraphim literally means the high and the lifted ones, the burning ones. These were the living beings who would stand before God over and over and over again, and they themselves would have to cover their eyes. They themselves would have to cover their feet before a holy and righteous God. And by the way, if you've never read the book of Ezekiel, you see beings that are very, very similar to this. And they themselves obey God without any hesitation whatsoever. These are the living beings who get the privilege of standing and worshiping God over and over and over again in his throne room in heaven. And what do they say? Verse three, and you've heard this before. And one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. There's a special title that's used here. <clears throat> it's used throughout many parts of the Old Testament, especially the minor prophets. But we see this title that's given to God in this very section. What's the title that's given to God? The Lord of hosts. This literally means the one who is in charge of heaven's armies. Now again, context is important. What had King Uzziah just built up? 
In fact, he was bragging about the numbers. He loved having 2,000, you know, people that were in charge of this massive 300 person or 300,000 person standing army. And Isaiah is hearing the seraphim saying, you are standing before the God of the universe that is in charge of infinite angels in heaven that love him and serve him with all of their hearts. The Lord of hosts who is in charge of the heavenly armies of heaven who can send one of those angels and destroy massive armies. <clears throat> what does it mean when it says holy, holy, holy? You see, there's a definition that is important to understand before we continue on. This attribute of God is defined in this section in the superlative. Now, you know, maybe you, you uh, went to elementary school, right, and, and learned about grammar. And in our language, you know, we, we add uh, either two letters or three letters to the end of a description of something that we're trying to brag about. <clears throat> I'm faster. No, I'm the fastest, right? Or uh, he's slower. No, he's the slowest, right? We add an E-R or an EST to the end of our words, or higher and highest, lower and lowest, badder and baddest, gooder and, English is weird, right? But, but you understand the context, okay? <clears throat> In the Hebrew, though, they repeat the word. So whether it's in the Psalms and you see amen and amen or, or various times throughout the scriptures, you see words repeated. This is the only time an attribute of God is repeated three times. You will never see love, love, love. You'll never see omniscient, 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 omnipotent, omnipotent, omnipotent. You'll never see omnipresent, omnipresent, omnipresent. You see, this is the one attribute that encompasses all the attributes of God. This is the one attribute through which every part of who God is is defined. It's his holiness. It defines who he is in his very being. Holy, holy, holy. Whether we understand in the New Testament his love and grace and mercy and thank God. Thank God he is gracious with us. It includes all of those attributes that we admire, but it also includes his judgment and his wrath. It's the wholeness of God, W-H-O-L-E. The holiness of God in his wholeness standing there before these angels that throughout eternity past and forever future will constantly say these words, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
And every time they say it, it gets better and better and better. We can't fathom that as human beings. But to understand that every time they repeat this phrase, it's, it brings out something new and refreshing. It will never be boring to hear this phrase repeated. Holy, holy, holy. It means to set apart. It means to be whole. And of course, it's the attributes that we are called to emulate. It's the attribute that we are called to be growing in. It's the attribute of God that we are invited even to imitate. You've heard this verse before in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, as God is already holy, as God is already holy, 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 as God is already whole, you also be holy in all your conduct. You see, God is, has always been, and will always be holy. But we also get the privilege of being sanctified or growing in our holiness. Growing to look more and more and more like God in his attribute of holiness. In fact, repeating the Old Testament, it says in verse 16 of that same passage from 1 Peter, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, it continues on. And the posts of the doors were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone. He heard the stories. He knew the stories. What it was like for Uzziah to do something that was not his role. And he understood at any time, and, you know, they didn't have mirrors back then. Maybe he was touching. I don't know. Is leprosy going to break out on my skin? Is something going to happen to me before a holy and a righteous God? What does he say about himself first and then about his nation? Because I am a man of unclean lips. Who does he point out the sin of first? Who does he point out the sin of first? Himself. Himself. His own lips. I know that I am not worthy. I know that I have sinned. I know that I have lied. I know that I have said things that I shouldn't say. I know that I am a man of unclean lips. I know I'm a sinner. I am not holy. I am not righteous. I'm just a person that's been called. And then what's the next thing that he says? And this is in reference to the nation as a whole. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, descended from Jacob, the original deceiver. Descended from Jacob, the 
ankle grabber who deceived his brother, even his dad, his uncle Laban, father-in-law. He understood that throughout history, the Jews had been known as people who would always get the better end of the trade. He understood that. I live amongst the people of unclean lips, the hardest part of the body to control, James says. I am a sinner. I am a liar. I am not holy. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. There's that word again. The one who is in charge of the heavenly armies. But there's also another title that has been added to this. And each time we read this, we're going to see another title added. There's this word king. Who is the king? Capital K-I-N-G. The Lord of hosts, Yahweh, God of the universe, the one that we serve. Every time you enter into the Holy of Holies, every time you pray, every time you come before the God of the universe, you are not coming just before a friend. Who are you coming before? The King, the Lord of hosts, the one who is holy, holy, holy. It is a privilege to talk to God. It is a privilege to come before a holy and righteous God in his very throne room. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth with it. Do you smell the burning flesh? Maybe you did it over a barbecue. Maybe you did it over a campfire. You smelled it, right? You smell it. This is exactly what's happening to the very lips of Isaiah. That coal is searing his lips, taken from the very altar before the throne room of God. What does the seraphim say? He touched my lips with it, and behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. What is that like to be clean? What is that like to be clean? Not, not just on the outside, because that's what the priest would have to do before they would enter into the temple itself, before they would go from the outside to the holy place, and then from the holy place to the holy of holies, the high priest once a year. They would have to cleanse themselves. And then they would go in and they would pray for the sins of the people. Because they were just men. Read the book of Hebrews. You will read this. But there's two things that happen in this event. Your iniquity is taken away. These are the sins of commission. Or the sins that I purposely set out to do and do them. I plan it and I do it. These are called sins of commission or iniquity. What has God done with those sins? 
He's taken them away from us. He has removed them as far as the east is from the west, thank God. But there's a second set of sins that are here also. What is in the second phrase? What does it say? And your sin purged. These are the sins of omission. These are the sins that we don't normally set out to do, but we just do them, you know. We, we're just committed. It's just done. It's those things that we may not plan out, but because we're our human beings and we fail many, many times, we don't do the right thing, and instead we do the wrong thing. These are the sins of omission. And there's a special word that immediately follows this. It's called the word purged. And we understand with the sins of commission, God removes them as far as the east from the west. He buries them into the deepest ocean. He removes them from our lives. But what about the sins of omission? There's this word, uh, kafar, that's used here. It's the word purged in this section. But this isn't the first time that we see this word used in the Old Testament. You see, the very first time we see this word used is all the way back in the book of Genesis. This word, kafar. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 14, the word kafar is used. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Whoa! All the way back to the time of Noah. Make rooms in the ark and Kafar it inside and out with pitch. What is this massive boat that is made out of heavy gopher wood? How is it going to float? Yes, the gopher wood is, is you know, buoyant, and, and, but what's going to happen when the water starts shooting through all the little holes in the gopher wood? <clears throat> what covers the outside of the boat? It's pitch. It's kafard or covered all over. That's where the definition of this word comes from, thinking all the way back to the ark, thinking all the way back to know himself. When the people of the earth are outside screaming and shouting, and eight people are saved, covered, kafard. This is the same exact word that is used here in Isaiah. You have been covered. Not with pitch, thank God. How have you been covered? With the blood of Jesus Christ. There's another interesting thing that is brought out in this section. You see, the king, as we saw in the previous verses, the God of the universe, the Lord of hosts, What is the king doing? He's forgiving sin, which is the role of the priest. So not only is our God, king of the universe, captain of the armies of heaven, the Lord of hosts, but he's also the high priest. This could only be fulfilled through one person. This could only be fulfilled through one role. David wanted to be priest. Many of the kings before Uzziah himself had wanted to understand what it meant 
to be the priestly role. There was this envy. I wonder what it would be like to be like them and go into the very holy of holies and worship God. It can only be fulfilled by one. And we find the answer in Zechariah chapter 6, verses 12 through 13. Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is Branch. From his place he shall branch out. He shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory. He shall sit and rule on his throne. This one who's going to be king sitting on the throne. But what else will be his role? So he shall be priest on his throne for the first time. The two roles, the two titles will be brought together. And what does it say at the very end of verse 13? And the council of peace shall be between them both. What will happen for the first time in all of Israel's history? The king and the priest will dwell in one person in perfect harmony. And you know who that is. It could only be fulfilled through the Messiah. In fact, this is the direct correlation to Jesus Christ himself, who will fulfill not only the role, the descendancy from the line of David, but also will be a high priest of a higher order than Aaron himself from the line of Melchizedek. And of course, you can read in the book of Hebrews as well about that. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, we end it here. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? It's the only time we see a plural in a pronoun. It's a first-person plural. Many people, they'll go back and they'll say, holy, 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 it represents the Trinity. No, it does not. Not at that time. But in here it does. Let's see, who is God talking to? And who is God before? What does it mean to have perfect harmony, wholeness within the Godhead? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all in this event counseling themselves and saying, who will go for us? You see the same pronoun, the same, you know, plural pronoun all the way back in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. All, all these pronouns are plural pronouns. Who is the only one in existence at this time? God himself. Plurally speaking to himself, yes, one, but united as three. What does Isaiah do? What does Isaiah do? Here I am! Send me! Don't you love that? There's an exclamation point, right? What is he doing? Here I am! Send me. What is it like to come before a holy and righteous God of the universe? 
and know that he's made me clean and whole and wants to use me to spread that message to other people. Thank God. Thank God. Revelation chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. You'll see the text on the screen. This is the other time the attribute of holiness is repeated before, or three times. And, and you know this, this text. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. They do not rest day or night, saying, They never get bored, they never get tired. They never want to say anything else. The only thing they want to say over and over and over and over again, it will not be boring in heaven. Every time you get the privilege of hearing these words, it will become better and better. And I don't know how that can be, but it will be better and better and more exciting, and more uh, lively. And, and everything about it will become newer and newer and newer every single time it is repeated Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. The privilege that we will have is to join in the endless song of praising God forever and ever and ever. We get a glimpse of that in Isaiah. We get a glimpse of that in the book of Revelation. But where does it all start? Where does it all begin? It all begins when we meet the Holy One. And when I recognize His Lordship and His sovereignty over my life. I then recognize my sinfulness. As Isaiah did. And then I get to experience His forgiveness. And then He gets to send us forth. The privilege that we have to know personally our king and our priest is to know that he desires for us to share that with other people. All of you know what's going to happen next. There's a hymn. It goes like this. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to Thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in Reposing, blessed Trinity. Stand with me and join me in singing this song. Holy, 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 
how the saints are holy and casting down their golden grounds around the glassy sea cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee which words and art and evermore shall be holy 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 though the darkness i be though the eye of sinful man my glory may not see only thou art holy there is none beside thee perfect in power in love and purity holy 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 lord God Almighty, all thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty God in Reperson, blessed Trinity. And so, Father, we thank you that we have the privilege of coming into your presence. We thank you that we have the privilege of knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that you call us to come boldly before your throne room and know that you accept us that you desire to cleanse us if we just ask, that you will give your forgiveness to us, not through any works of our own, but by the covering of the blood of your Son. And so, Lord, tonight or this morning, I ask that you would help us to desire you above all, to desire you before anything else, that we would be changed that our sins too would be forgiven. And if there's anyone in this room that has never encountered a personal relationship with a holy and righteous God, I ask that you would convict them now. That you would work in their lives now. And know that there's people that are willing to pray with them after the service. People that are willing to talk with them after the service. Lord, we thank you so much that we can come before you at any time. And every time we pray, I ask that you would help us to remember these verses, that you are a holy and righteous God, the king of the universe, the priest who sits on the throne, bringing together those two offices in perfect harmony. Lord, we worship you as holy, holy, holy. Bless these, my friends, this congregation, my family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And amen.